Well, good morning, church. My name is Nolan. I have the privilege of bringing God's word for us today. Our passage today is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 2b through 10. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is God's word for us today. Morning. Morning. We are the church because we gather around Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. And we worship him in spirit and in truth. He deserves all the glory. My family and I are excited to be here. It is a joy to worship together with saints, even if I've met most of you for the first time. Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and it is Jesus who brings us together. We have a bond around Jesus and his message, the person and work of Jesus Christ. My aim for us this morning is for us, through the text that we just read, to love Jesus deeper. And we do that by clinging to his word and committing to be a local church that loves Jesus and his word. That's, that's why I have the title, Doctrinal Deviation. It is our lifeline. Jesus and his teaching through the gospel of Jesus Christ is our lifeline. We are no longer the church if we don't follow Jesus and his teaching. The bond that we have together begins to weaken when we deviate from Jesus and his message. In fact, the bond is non-existent if we ignore Jesus and his message. The letter of 1 Timothy is written to Paul, uh, written by Paul to his protege Timothy. And it is to ground him and the church at Ephesus in the truth of God's word. If you know anything about the church of Ephesus, there's a whole letter written to them about what it means to stand firm on God's word. And, and the unfortunate thing, despite all of these letters to them, and despite all of this knowledge coming from a great source, Paul and his letters, the church at Ephesus in Revelation is given an indictment. They're told they're deviating from the truth. And you know what? Today, 
it doesn't even exist. The church at Ephesus is no longer in existence. This should serve as a grave warning to a church that is currently probably following the true word of Jesus and the person of Jesus, but slightly has a tendency to deviate from the words and person of Jesus. We have no church. There is no church. If there is no Jesus, and there is no gospel. And so that's why we love Jesus deeper by getting into who he is through his word and, and loving his gospel more. He wrote this letter in Paul's words in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15 to Timothy, that he may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. And what is the household of God? Which is the church, uh, which is the church, uh, which is God's, how they ought to behave in the church. The church is the foundation and the support for the truth of God's word. We build the church on Jesus and his message. That's what the church's firm foundation is. And when we deviate from Jesus and his message, we no longer have a church. A sick church produces sick patterns and has sick behavior. As some would say, right thinking leads to right practices. Consequently, wrong thinking leads to wrong practices. In Timothy's time, there was an active pursuit of diversion teachings by certain influential men in the church. Paul wanted Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, we see, he says, As I urged you upon my departure from, for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. If we are alert Christians, then we realize that the problem of slight deviation from the doctrine persists even today. It goes on even today. A plane, which is only off a degree perhaps, in its flight path, will eventually be completely lost, completely destroyed. Similarly, Christians only, who are only slightly off on certain teachings of the, or clear teachings of the Bible, will eventually be completely lost. In fact, Paul names them in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20. He says, uh, let me start with verse 18. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. And verse 20, he names names. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. This is very important. This is not just a monologue. This time here is not just a monologue to fill space and time. This here that we do right here in church, and I'm sure all the church, churches globally have a time when we delve into God's word, is, is, is not just there so I can motivate you to live life for the future, for the coming week, to get you energized, although I hope you are, right? This time here is there to draw you deeper into Jesus 
And we do that through the word of God. Slight deviation it causes eternal destruction. And so what should we do then as a church? How, how, do we, how do we handle slight deviations? And that's what Paul deals with here in the section that we see today. And he begins with us recognizing how false teachers operate. How do they operate? How do they work? What is their modus operandi, if you will? And by knowing this, we're able to mark them and pursue Jesus and his message. All right, and he begins here in verses 2 of chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. He says, he says at the end of the section, teach and preach these principles. Teach and preach these principles. And so, firstly, this is the action of a believer against false teachers. This is our, this is our uh, active pursuit against false teachers. We teach and preach these things. If you're wondering what he means by these things, many take what he has said so far up until chapter uh, 6, verses 1, uh, as these things. Uh, I'm concluding that it's what he's about to say. Uh, following chapter 6, verse 2, right? These are the things that we must teach and preach or teach and exhort, if you will. So that's, the, that's what we must do. We don't fight false teachers with the same methods that Satan fights us. We fight false teachers by going back to Jesus and his word. We go back to that. And when we go back to that, we can be alert Christians who then fight false teachers. We're not somebody looking for a fight. We're some people, and, and, and it's unfortunate, so many Christians, they love debating, right? They love fighting. We're not people that look for a fight. We're people that love Jesus and his message. And because we do, we have to be alert against anything that attacks Jesus and his church. And so the way we do that is by teaching and preaching. And as soon as I said preaching uh, or teaching, some of you said, well, am I in school again? You know, am I, am I going to school again? Yes. I mean, without the knowledge of the, of the Bible, without the knowledge of Jesus and his word, we are like naive children that sit in a white van because he was offering ice cream. That's how we are. And so, yes, we teach and we exhort. Rather than being silent about the pervasive pursuit of lies, as Christians, we cannot remain silent. We want to address it, address false teaching. And Paul wants Timothy to teach and exhort the believers of Ephesus to, to stay away from these false teachers and their teachings. It's okay to dialogue. It's never okay to compromise on Jesus because we love Jesus. We, we do not compromise. And grace and love, if we, if we want to talk about grace and we want to talk about love, we, we've heard this before. Some, you bring up a doctrinal issue and someone says, I just want to love them. I just want to show Jesus' grace to them. And I think that is cheap grace. Because the grace that I know put an innocent man on the cross where he paid for the penalty of wrathful, a wrathful God against sinners. That is special grace. That is amazing grace. It's not cheap. And so grace and love do not conceal lies. 
In fact, they expose lies so that we can find healing in our soul through, through the truth. That is why Paul tells Timothy, teach and urge these things. Now, these two actions of teaching and urging are the only two commands that we will see in this section. The rest of it goes, uh, the, the, the rest of it goes through the main phrase, which is in verse 6, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accomplished by contentment. That's the main phrase, phrase throughout this. That's not even a command. The command is this, teach and urge people about this true doctrine. So what is teaching? The idea of teaching has the gospel at the center. We don't teach our opinion. We teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The strongest connection between the act of teaching and the content of teaching, namely the gospel, is found in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Look with me in 1 Timothy 4, 11. He says, prescribe and teach these things. And right before that, he says, for verse 9, for it is for this we labor and strive. Here we see the gospel because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of believers. And so what we see here is Jesus as Lord, King, and Savior, uh, which, which is a truncated gospel, is what we teach. At the center of our teaching is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have set our hope on a living God, not a dead God. We have set our hope on a powerful, miracle-working Savior who takes dead people and makes them alive. Amen. That's a miracle of regeneration. And we trust that He does that through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The center of what we teach is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the gospel then is this good news. And we must regularly teach it to ourselves. We must deeply teach it to ourselves because the gospel serves as an immunity against false teachers. But this act of teaching is followed up by this word that he uses here, preaching or urging. So while teaching, so the, the, the act of teaching or urging is to help people or encourage the practice of doctrine, not just, not just teaching, but practicing. While teaching doctrine has a pedagogical or information transfer element to it, the transfer of true gospel understanding is not complete without encouraging believers to apply the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, how many times have you heard people say, I don't go to church anymore because the church is full of hypocrites, right? It's filled with hypocrites, and they're, and they're right. And why, why do I say that? Because we sing songs like, oh, Jesus, we love you. You're the only one we need. And then we go and pursue other things rather than Jesus. We're in a war against our own flesh. I mean, the devil gets blamed for a lot of things that we do because we like it. And, 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 and what he's saying is the way to, to, to help us stay away from false teachers is to teach the gospel, teach the word of God that Jesus is the Lord and, and he has supremacy over all things and he's our judge, he's coming again, but also to urge them to live this way, to live in accordance with this. He, he, it's just not enough to say, come to a seminar on congregationalism. The idea is that you will become congregationalist. Right? It's not enough to say, I read the Bible and pray every day. The, uh, the idea is, uh, well, then have you stopped shouting at your wife? 
So we've seen Paul encourage Timothy to teach people how to apply the gospel in their everyday life. Specifically, just in chapter 6, and this, this applies to all of us, just in chapter 6, we've seen Paul encourage everybody that has a job. So look at chapter 6, verse 1. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. So we're supposed to, we're supposed to regard our bosses as worthy of all honor. Water cooler conversations concerning your boss are not becoming of a Christian. And why, do, why is that? Because Jesus is our Lord and King. Because look at what he says in, in verse 1. So that. So why do, why, do we not, why do we regard our boss as somebody to honor? So that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. That's why we honor our boss. So that the name of God. And that's what we care about. The name of Jesus be lifted high. In all realms, right? The one, one little kid in India uh, was telling a friend of mine, I want to be a, be a preacher. And this is a story that one of my friends was telling, I want to be a preacher, he said. And after these number of years of his ministry, my friend's ministry, this was the first child that said, I want to be in the ministry. And so he was very encouraged. And he, went, he wanted to pray with the kid. And he said, uh, during his conversation with the kid, he, he asked him, why do, you, why do you want to be a preacher? And, and the kid says, because I see our pastor. And he was very encouraged by that, see our pastor. And then he went on to say, and he only works one day a week. <laughs> That's why I want to be a preacher. Now, my friend had to have a conversation with the pastor. <laughs> what, what is going on in your life wherein your congregants think that the rest of your, the week is sort of vacation for you, right? This is, the, this is the kind of thing that we're trying to address. Not just Jesus in our mouth, but Jesus in our heart lived out everywhere. Including at the workplace. Right? So this is the art, art of encouraging. And that's why when Jesus gave us our mission, which is making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ into healthy local congregations that make and mature other healthy disciples of Jesus Christ, plant other churches... When he gave us this mission, part of making disciples is applying God's word to our lives. And that's discipleship in a nutshell. But there are some false teachers who claim otherwise. They claim they have other message, other message, another message, a better message, a more relevant message. Other methods that are more hip beside the gospel. And they claim that this works better to grow a Christian church. Our reaction to them is that we must be aware about these false teachers. Look with me in verse 3 of chapter 6. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he's conceited and understands nothing. False teachers don't go around announcing that they are false teachers. They don't, they don't do that. Uh, false teachers are... Probably uh, the intellectuals of society. False teachers are probably very convincing, which is why they have a body of students that they can teach to. They're probably very persuasive. They're probably very clear. But they teach a different doctrine. It is a teaching that is contrary or divergent from what Timothy was taught, if you remember, by his mother and grandmother. 
and what was passed down by the prophets and the teachers. This kind of doctrine, notice he has, it has a uh, unhealthy root. So look, look uh, what does he say here? He says, uh, those who have, uh, who have believers, uh, sorry, verse 3, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree, that does not agree with sound words. This word sound, uh, another way to look at it is healthy, healthy words, right? We've all been in a situation where words have destroyed our spirit. Someone's words have destroyed us, right? Uh, just watching a documentary the other day uh, on, uh, you know, just the uh, drug, drug issues all around a particular community. And, and it's interesting to hear how many of these kids who are into drugs uh, have been told things that they have then started to believe and therefore are selling drugs. Now, that doesn't excuse uh, selling drugs, but, but, but they have believed certain things about themselves. And they are practicing then what they believe, right? The words can be extremely destructive, but good words can be extremely healthy for us. Words that encourage us can be extremely healthy for us. Specifically in our context, words that are of Jesus Christ, he says. Right? The, the, the words that are of Jesus Christ, these are not man's words. These are Jesus' words. Sound words are Jesus' words. We do not have a gospel that is wordless. Propositional truth is the hallmark of Christianity. While, uh, while it's good to have art in the service, it's the words that impact the soul. And so, sound words... These, these, these false teachers, they, they, have, they, they deviate from this. In fact, the word can be also taught about in terms of sickness. Uh, here I'm in medical territory. So this is, this is, this is, these are words of sickness, right? It's a disease, right? They have a disease. They have an addiction to things that are unhealthy. They love the French fries, right? And so he's saying, he's saying these teachers... They deviate from that which God, Jesus has, uh, and they, uh, they have a disease. They go after unhealthy words. Not only that, verse six says, uh, verse, verse, chapter 6 says, not conforming to godliness. The doctrine conforming with godliness. So a kind of teaching, there's a kind of teaching that leads people to live holy lives. Right? Now don't get it twisted. Don't, don't think you're going to live holy lives and then believe what's true, right? The root of our livelihood, of our living, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We live the way that we do because the gospel has changed us, right? There is a kind of Christianity, again, that, that in their zeal to live holy lives has emphasized it without the root of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and so what has happened is, we have people wearing Christian makeup, but they take it off on Sunday evening. And throughout the week, you wouldn't even know that they love Jesus deeply. That is dangerous. What he's talking about here is a deep-rooted effect of the gospel in the heart that leads them to the practice of the gospel. And these false teachers, they don't, they don't have anything to do with piety, with holiness. Holiness is living for Jesus because we love Jesus. And so false teachers teach impiety. 
Godliness here can be, can be uh, uh, defined as a respect and awe. Respect and awe accorded to God. We love God. And we have a fear of God. When, we, when we're alone in the room and when we, when we are at ho- uh, home, when we're at our workplace, we recognize that God is there. Amen. And He is watching. And we have a healthy fear of Him. And we want to worship Him in spirit and in truth everywhere we go. We want to worship Jesus. And so that's, that's, that's the deviation of false teachers. They, they, they teach these unhealthy things. And not only do they teach these unhealthy things, they also don't conform to true holiness. So we need to be aware of them. And we need to be aware of the fruit of false teachers. Look at verses 4 and 5. Uh, the false teacher is conceited. And understands nothing. The false teacher is conceited and understands nothing. The, t- the false teacher is puffed up. Have you ever uh, filled a balloon with air? Right? I mean, it's, it puffs up. But inside, there, there is no substance. That's a false teacher. He, there is no, they're, they're puffed up, but there is no substance. Uh, it's empty arrogance. It's empty arrogance. And, and notice uh, his, his conclusion is they understand nothing. Now, they go, they go forward saying, listen to me, I'm a, I'm a very, very intellectual person. Come and listen to my seminar. But what's coming out is hot air. What's coming out is, uh, is, is words that are sickly. So we need to be aware that this is the fruit. They understand nothing. And not only that, look at, look at again verse 4. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions. The, he, he has a morbid interest in disputed words. They love controversy. They thrive on controversy. They make their livelihood on con- controversy. Whereas the gospel unites people, right? These people want to divide people. And they're using talking points to divide people. These are, uh, these are politicians who I think became pastors, right? These are, these are people that love talking points and trigger points so that people would be hooked. And then they divide them. They divide people. The gospel unites people. They divide people. He has a disease that is sourced in a deviation from the gospel of Jesus Christ. But not only that, the, the, here's the real reason they do that. Look with me in verse 5. He says, And a constant friction between men of depraved mind uh, and deprived of the truth. And suppose that godliness is a means of gain. So for them, doing these things, deviating from the gospel, focusing on controversial things, focusing on disputed words, is a way to have a livelihood. The word gain there is profitability, or, or we can think of it in terms of wealth. Their wealth, they gain their wealth through doing these things. And so for them, godliness or fearing God is actually not the, their pursuit. Following Jesus is actually not their pursuit. Jesus is a means to them becoming wealthy. And for us, Jesus is our wealth. Amen. He is all we need. He is all we desire. He is our wealth. For these people, the, their modus operandi is, I'm going to use Jesus so I can get rich. And we, should, we see this all over the place. 
In, in this nation, we see this all, all over the place. And that's the root of that. that and, and Paul will talk about uh, their, their desire to be rich moving forward. But false is that they, they desire wealth. Look at verse 9 of chapter 6. He says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation. These people, they have a desire to be rich. Nothing wrong with wanting a little bit of money. Right? Well, nothing wrong. M money in and of itself is not evil. Right? It is, it is God's ordained means of which he uses to, to further his kingdom. The, the problem is, uh, look at verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, now, now, these teachers, they want to be wealthy. They desire to be rich. And they fall into various temptations. Not only do they desire to be wealthy, but these teachers also wander for, from the faith. Because of their love for, the, love for the wealth, love for money, look at what verse 10 says. For it ha uh, and some by longing for it, and the it is the love for money, longing for money, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, why did they pursue money? Because they thought money will give them joy. They thought that money will give them prestige. They thought that money will give them honor and love. But the pursuit of money has caused the text here says pangs in some text, or the text here says grief. They have manufactured the very weapon that is killing them inside. They pursued the manufacturing of the very weapon that is destroying their soul. Hear me, church. Uh, I, I know that I'm sitting, uh, I'm standing before many ambitious people that want to do a lot in your life. And I know that I live in a culture that defines success in terms of your zip code. Friends, let me warn you, only Jesus will satisfy your soul. Amen. Only the worship of Jesus will give you unspeakable joy amidst trials. Only the pursuit of Jesus will make you stronger than you've ever been before. And so these false teachers, they're trying to snatch this away from people. So, so that's why Paul is, you know, sometimes you wonder, it's just a different doctrine. No, it's a destructive doctrine. It is snatching people of the opportunity to encounter their glorious Savior and be satisfied in Him for life and eternity. That is what this doctrine does. It's not just classroom. This is life we are talking about. And so, church, hear me out. This is our attitude, and I got to move fast. Contrary to false teachers, believers, we hang on to sound doctrines. We hang on to it. It's like our vitamin pill. We, it is our lifeline, right? Where I almost died of COVID, and I had a ventilator, and, and, uh, uh, but it was a non-invasive ventilator, uh, and uh, I, couldn't, I didn't want to eat, and so they gave me food, uh, and so uh, I, I, they, I, I had to take it out and eat and then put it back in, and I couldn't put, put this out for a long time, right? And I didn't want to eat, but then they, they, said, they, they threatened me that they're going to give me an IV and stuff, and I didn't want that, so I, I said, I'll eat. And so uh, just a little bit 
uh, of taking out, out of the ventilator lowered my oxygen, right? It was my lifeline for a long time, right? The ventilator was. I was on it for about three or four days. And, and that's the gospel for every Christian. It's our lifeline. <laughs> it's what we need to breathe out the Christian life. That, that is Jesus for us. We need him every hour, every moment, very closely. And so we seek healthy words. Uh, our attitude towards Jesus is that we love Jesus because the sound words are of Jesus. Now, interestingly, you cannot divorce Jesus from his words. You cannot divorce Jesus from truth. In other texts, Jesus says, I'm the way, the what? Truth and the life. Jesus is truth. So deviating from Jesus' truth is to deviate from Jesus, right? He's the embodiment of what truth is in this subjective relativistic world. Isn't it, isn't it amazing grace that we still have an anchor point in the person and message of Jesus Christ? He is our anchor point. But then we love the words of Jesus because they make us healthy. They make us healthy, again, going back to verse 3, where these people are deviating from sound words. And then believers live for Jesus. Look, what, uh, look with me again in verse 6. Godliness actually is a means of great gain. You want wealth? Pursue Jesus. That is true wealth. You want to pass down a generational wealth? Yes, find a good church like this. But pass down Jesus and his words to the next generation. Don't become the church of Ephesus that heard all these things and then deviated from it. Let us hang on to him generationally. Pass it down to the children. And we are content. Why are we content? Verse 7, because we brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing out of this world. All your accomplishments and your degrees, you might as well bury them with you when you die. Right? A decade from when you die, your loved ones who still are alive might come and visit you at the grave. But that's about it. Nobody likes to hang out at the cemetery unless you're taking drugs or something, right? <laughs> but what will be our wealth? What will be our wealth? Our wealth is Jesus for eternity. That's our wealth. So we want to be content in Jesus because we don't take anything with us. This is, this, we know this. We know this. But if I were to look at your life and evaluate your pursuits, can I conclude that? Can we conclude that? If you were to look into my life and my heart and my pursuits, could you conclude, well, this guy's wealth is Jesus. Right? Sometimes we treat our most closest relationships as a means to, to derive what we want from it. Right? Husbands taking advantage of wives. Wives taking advantage of husbands. Because they use husbands, or wives use husbands, or husbands use wives as a means to what they want. Those are destructive relationships. That's not wealth. But when we see Jesus who sacrificed himself on the cross of Calvary, so that he can bring wretched sinners 
and become his children, adopted children of the Most High God, bringing us into an inheritance that is undefiled, that can never be destroyed, that is forever and ever and ever. When we see that love that Jesus gives us, that's the love that we exude then in our relationships with one another. He is amazing, isn't he? He is worthy of our worship. We need to grow deeper into him. We do that through his word. And so here's the take-home truth for today. Why don't we commit to loving Jesus? Not only in what we practice intellectually or, or, or signing off a constitution or a covenant statement, but, but actually living it in our lives. And let me tell you, you need each other. I don't need to tell you. You live in a dogged world. Don't be naive. You might be a very friendly person, but as soon as you use the name of Jesus, I'm very sure your friends are like, oh, that guy's a freak. Is your love for men going to cause you to negate Jesus or ignore Jesus? Or is your love for Jesus going to cause you to say, I guess I'm a freak. I'm telling you folks, this battle, young and old alike go through it. Educated, uneducated alike go through this battle. Believers go through this battle and you need each other. And so commit to your local church. Commit to this church. Commit to the growth of not yourself alone, but for the brother sitting next to you, for the sister sitting next to you. Commit to their growth. Commit to wanting to see them live for Christ and love Christ. And not only should you commit to one another, but commit to the global church. A church that is seeking to do that exact thing in around the world. Commit to that. Because you need each other. You need each other. And Jesus is worth it. And he's coming again. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. May we, may I live the word out consistently in my life. May I have a repentant attitude. And may I always run to the cross in which I find healing and reconciliation. Always. May I never look to myself or my abilities, my aptitude to fight sin. May I fight sin based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. May I commit to our, my church and the people of my church to see them become more like Christ. May just the, the, the sheer number of people growing or filling seats not satisfy our souls, but may we pursue each other in love to see everyone so that we might present everyone glorious and holy before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is coming again. May we love Jesus deeper and deeper in our lives. In his name I pray. Amen.